0: Your brain might just help you learn something in more ways than one. Welcome to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Dr. Bell is a licensed marriage and family therapist. He'll be your guide on this crazy exploration designed to bring life back into our existence. Can you become the element of change in an ever-changing world? Possibly, but you've got to listen on to find out.
1: Now here is the host of Absurd Psychology, Dr. Gary Bell. Welcome everybody. All right, we're talking about serial marriages and incompatibility. And boy, I'll tell you, during a year like this, during COVID, there's more divorces then well, the problem is they can't get through the courts, but uh and I'm not laughing at it i'm just saying this year statistically is very high for divorces, but you know if you if you take a look and we'll start off with incompatibility you know if you look at incompatible couples, you know we've all met people who seem to be in, incompatible i mean they're their opposites attract phenomena. You know, she likes sports, he likes opera, she's introverted, he's extroverted. You know, the list goes on. And and for some of these people, uh, uh, being opposite can work. But for many more, it eventually leads to constant conflict um, because they end up wanting to change each other instead of being married to the person that they married. And that doesn't also, you know, that doesn't always mean divorce but, you know, compatibility isn't simply what we have in common on the surface. It's also the values, the beliefs, personality traits that we share. And, and, and it's true, even if these, these these can be changed over time. But what makes us more or less compatible? Uh, how important uh, is it anyway? Well, you know, most couples fight about money, fight about sex, kids, if they have them. And, uh, you know, psychologist Gottman says uh, uh, compatibility comes from how a relationship supports your life's mission. And that means your passion. And and that's important for us to understand that we're souls living a human life and our souls have passion about something. And whoever you're with, it's a good idea that they either stay out of your way on your passion and allow you to to pursue it or that they complement it and bring something to it. You know, Neil Clark Warren. He's based. He's the founder of E Harmony. Um, he he's really an expert on compatibility, and he really laid out. There's these compatibility areas. There's I think around 29 that he put forward. Um, some of these are like uh, two emotionally healthy people, uh, strong character, similar intelligence level, some uh, some same kind of values, uh, keen sense of humor. Uh, similar energy, similar industriousness, two or three common interests, and curiosity – These are really important to understand, and people married 7 to 10 years who met through eHarmony have about a 3.86 divorce rate, so that's not bad, and that's based on 2013. Now, people who met online have a slightly higher marital satisfaction or lower uh, rates of marital breakup than meeting a spouse through traditional offline venues, which I find interesting, but online services broaden your dating pools, so that's kind of why it happens. Happens. but this also leads to an increased opportunity of finding a compatible partner however you really need to check the balances on their health on and that means diseases of any kind uh, their finances that needs to be something that you talk about and their uh, sense of what intimacy should be like in a relationship you know there's a lot of ingredients to the success of incompatible couples and that's generosity and that means the success of compatible incompatible uh, incompatible couples if they can at least share generosity and adaptability they can get through the bumps they can if they become more generous with their time their attention their words and understand that you might be changing and your partner can too but you've got to change first you don't change your partner you work on changing yourself you know it, it's it's really important if you're curious about uh, how compatible you and your partner are, and then you didn't meet through, uh, you know, uh, uh, eHarmony. You might check, check out uh, Instant Chemistry. They they developed a DNA based test to determine your compatibility with your partner, and that test, and once again, that's Instant Chemistry, covers three areas: bio compatibility, neuro compatibility, and psychological compatibility. And, and, and basically, you spit in a tube and you send it to their lab and log into their site for a psychological assessment and your results. You know, anyone who's experienced divorce would say it's, it's rarely, if ever, painless. And I will tell you, you never know who you marry till you divorce them. And that is the God's truth. There are many reasons people divorce, including infidelity, growing apart, financial disagreements, but once the couple decides to divorce, they're likely to experience stages of grief. And Elizabeth Kubler-Ross uh, talks about the stages of grief on, uh, on uh, in her book on, on death and dying. And that's denial, uh, isolation, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. And those can all come at once, by the way. But, you know, uh, no two people experience that in the same way. So going through each stage isn't a need. But it's really difficult that when you're going through that adjustment, you're also divorcing at the same time. And so you've got all these mixed emotions and they come out like you're bipolar. And so people take out their emotions in court and love and attorneys love this family attorneys. They will love this all day long Is playing two people against each other and sucking them dry financially. That's just how how, uh, it works. You know, there's also uh, no specific order of those grieving stages. For example, you might go from anger to denial to bargaining and then acceptance all in one moment. I mean, it's amazing. You know, one of the dominant theories about divorce adaptation is divorce stress adjustment. And it postulates, and it's a model, and it basically says that the process of divorce is continuous, and it begins while the couple uh, temporarily, and after a period of time, they adapt to their circumstances and to their stressors. Some people experience chronic strain in their relationship and this ongoing stress, so they don't view the process as temporary. In fact, they might never fully recover from a divorce, but the bottom line is some people just sit in their stress, in a marriage, and eventually as it bottles up, they just make a rash decision and bang, it's done. But I could tell you something, never, ever, ever, if you can help it, make an important decision while you're emotional. You know, um, the difference between men and women, and it's really important when they're making decisions uh With men, they have a very short pre-decision period. Uh, They're less pre-decision stress. They're they're lower uh, in the post-divorce adjustment. They're more external locus of control, men, when they're coping with the divorce. And also, uh, childless couples do a lot better in divorce because they have less problems, less post-decision stress, shorter pre-decision periods. Uh, And so like most of the transitions, coping with divorce takes time, patience, support, and support can come from family, friends, a therapist, whomever. You know, but there's a lot of research that indicates that the way couples uh, uh, explain each other's shortcomings is revealing. For example, researchers ask newlyweds about the kinds of explanations they used over a six-month period. They ask the couples to describe and to rate successful events outside their marriage. The assessments, which are conducted every six months over four years, says low stress equaled more uh, charitable explanations by spouses for each other's negative shortcomings. High stress equals an inability to provide charitable explanations, even though the person did so during low stress times. So enduring vulnerabilities have a lot to do with how we explain the behavior of the other. Vulnerabilities include cognitive styles personality traits, childhood experiences, and those combined with various stressful encounters like work and money, um, health, and that informs our explanations. So people can wear each other down, basically. But how can we restore a marriage? And it's not simple. It all depends on how the marriage broke down. You know, if over time you've become disconnected, then reconnecting is your connection. Take charge and, and do it. Accept the bids for connection. Don't reject them. (laughs) Understand each other's love maps. And and that, that can be your love languages. You know, build a culture of appreciation and respect for each other. You know, what if your problem is around infidelity? Well, trust is eroded. And I can tell you, trust is the binder of any relationship. If you love someone, you cannot trust them sometimes. But when you trust someone, the love grows. And so the binder of any marriage and any argument you will ever have with your partner is a trust issue. And if you're smart, you will nail those issues right away. You will take accountability for what you've done. They must take accountability for what they've done. And then you take a leap of faith. That person who violated you takes asks you to give them a leap of faith in order for them and have faith in them that they d- they made a mistake but they don't ever want to do it again on whatever level of trust issue it is and and you know the other thing is you have to examine intentions when you're going to attack someone don't just keep attacking the bad thing attack their intentions how did you decide this what are you what made you think that this was a good thing you know if you look at what makes a happy marriage you know, uh, uh, if, if you're, you there's a lot of common things, you know, if you were separated from the family you grew up in, uh, not to the point of estranged, but enough so that your identity is separate from that of your parents and your siblings, that can be an ingredient of a good marriage. If you build togetherness based on shared intimacy and identity, while at the same time set boundaries, protect each other's partner's autonomy and also Uh, create your own holidays, create your own events, how they go, how we work as a couple. And then you establish rich and pleasurable sexual relationship. And then you protect it from intrusions of the workplace and family obligations. And and then we're talking about healthy, you know, learn to continue to work uh, on protecting the privacy of you and your spouse, you know, confront uh, the, the, the big crises in your life. Don't just avoid them and also maintain and get a, get a, not only confront it, get a plan to get through it and maintain the strength of that bond in the face of adversity. The marriage should be safe place. It should be home wherever you are with your partner and you express your differences, anger and conflict with each other in a safe way. If you use humor and laughter, keep things in perspective and to avoid boredom and isolation. You know, humor can heal a whole lot of things if you use it. Believe me, nurture and comfort each other. That's other healthy, uh, successful things to do in a, in a marriage. Keep alive the romantic ideas, uh, images that made you fall in love while facing the reality that changes are come in time. And there are reoccurring themes you might notice as you continue uh, reading, you know, like humor, sexual intimacy, comfort, boundaries, or a few things, you know, seriously, you know, either partner can be grumpy and unhappy, but when they are, oftentimes they rub off on each other. So you want to use more humor. That doesn't mean you need to get, uh, you know, great right, right into telling a joke, but you can watch comedians or or you can uh, remember some things in in your past. It also reduces your stress and anxiety. It's very important. Ex- exercising together. That is another Thing that helps people be happy together. Also, uh, mindfulness best based on stress for reductions. That means staying in the moment rather than going down the road and worrying. People that worry can drive you crazy. You know, worrying means you're going to live your whole life in fear. And if you're going to live that way, do you know how difficult it is to live with you? Because you're in fear all the time. That's not living, that's coping. You know, if you're going to fight, be smart. Soften your, soften how you begin an argument. Learn to send and receive uh, uh, repair attempts, forgiveness attempts. Soothe each other, compromise, you know, be constructive rather than try to be right. That's the biggest problem in marriage. A lot of people think they need to be right and that's not the place for it. That's a place for compromise. That's what relationships are about. But the big things are You need to accept responsibility when you're wrong without excuses. You need to offer to make restitution. How can I make things right? What can I do? Genuinely repent, expressing the desire to change, not being goaded by your partner. Give evidence that you've changed your behavior and request forgiveness. You know, I I hope you can forgive me. I hope you can have faith in me. You know, like the five love, love languages, apologies are also... Are uh, individual, you know, they're they're personal. So we, you know, we favor uh, one over the others. So the nature of offense can dictate which apology to use, especially if it's a big transgression, and, and you know, you might need to use all five. Forgiveness is a part of an apology process, and it requires us to confess, apologize, and ask for forgiveness, and uh, and uh, don't. Destroy the memory of what happened. Remember what happened so you won't do it again. And end the emotions attached to the memory because it gives it too much power. And then you want to remove the consequences. Don't remove the consequences of the transgression. It's important to rebuild trust. So forgiveness opens a door for the possibility of trust. And and hopefully you can get to some kind of forgiveness and reconciliation. Now, We're going to talk a little bit later about serial marriages because these dudes are crazy. I, my father, had six marriages, six marriages. I cannot believe uh, how crazy that was. And uh, I think the last one almost killed him, (laughs) quite frankly. (laughs) But, uh, you know, you know, when you when someone offends you, Uh, And we'll stay on this just for a moment. When someone offends you, you know, you, you go to the person and you lovingly confront them. This opens the door for forgiveness if the person now apologizes. If the person still doesn't apologize, then, you know, you may begin to discuss your anger. But when you confront people, be an adult about it. And what that means is use your words. You know, I'm very disappointed. I'm really sad that you decided that this was the way you wanted to go. I think it's it's sad. I think it's it's not smart, and it, and it really hurts because it includes me, and it creates a problem in my life too. Is you know when we do stuff like that, stay flat and straight. When you confront your partner, stay steady in your speech. Don't use a lot of tone. Don't use a lot of verbosity. Don't throw your hands in the air. And get all handsy. No, calm down. Take a time out if you're not calm. And then discuss with your partner, look them in the eye, and it's really hard to go to rage when you look someone in the eye, and basically say what your emotions are. State them. State them. That's all you have to do. All right, we're going to take a quick break. Now we're going to dive into serial marriages. Come back.
0: (laughs) Friend us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment. Dr. Gary Bell is available for speaking engagements as well as teaching at your seminar or workshop and life coaching via telephone Skype or in person in the Seattle area. Listen for Transformation for Success with Dr. Barbara Young. Her show topics cover creating lasting transformation in challenging environments and how creating change can have an impact on the success of individuals from a mind, body, and spirit perspective. It's going to be inspiring and uplifting each week. So tune in on Tuesdays at 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel and also listen on the Voice America Business and Influencers Channels. Transformation takes one step. That's 1-888-346-9141. That's easy enough, but if you want to send an email, it will take some thinking. Got a pen? The email address is drgbmft at sbcglobal.net. Or you can just click on Email Host on the Voice America page. Now, back to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology.
1: Welcome back, everybody. All right. We're talking about serial marriages and incompatibility. And if you're like most people, you you figure you'll get married once, maybe twice in your entire life. However, if you're a serial monogamist, a person who engages in repeated serious relationships one after the other, you might marry three, four, five more times in your life. You know, what really drives these people to become a serial monogamist? Do they begin with psychological issues or do they simply end up with them? Well, I'd suggest both. You know, the, But there's studies that have shown people who marry several times in rapid succession are more likely to experience a lot of psychological distress regardless of gender, age, or ethnicity. They're also more likely to develop uh, bad uh, addictions. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know, it's, it, it's, it's common to see serial marriage in Hollywood, which is impressionable on the population. You know, Elizabeth Taylor, if you ever remember her, she was married like eight times to seven different men. You know, a, a lot of people uh, in Hollywood have been married five, six, seven times. And statistics show that across the United States, about 5% of people who have been married at least once, have actually been married three times or more. And that percentage is highest in Arkansas at 10%. The lowest is along the East Coast in New Jersey, New York, and uh, Massachusetts, where it's about 2%. But education plays an important role in serial monogamy as well. Those with higher educations have a lower likelihood of being married three or more times. It's cheaper to keep her. You know, unfortunately, serial marriage is also linked with earlier death. And so many people who engage in multiple marriages, either uh, long term or short term, have a perception that there is an ideal type of love. But they often fall short of believing that people can experience one true love in a lifetime. And sometimes diving into a new relationship is a way to become distracted from your loneliness. And in other cases, it's related to a misplaced self-value that's basically solely on the way other people feel about you. And some people get married because they want to solve their partner's problems And not confront their own problems. So they'd rather find someone that's also just just as depressed as them and try to fix them rather than take on their own depression. You know, a lot of people want to fix their partners. And it's sad, but these people who get in serial relationships often marry someone who is in a one down position. Or in one way or another, and they end up trying to save them rather than to marry a partner who matches their needs and is good fit for them. You know, unfortunately, um, many people engage in multiple uh, 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 relationships, dive into a new relationship, uh, and and it's not necessarily healthy to become relationship dependent. But serial marriage can have negative effects on other people, including uh, children, grandchildren, and even ex-spouses. And so, you know, through the eyes of children, when parents remarry, it's not easy on them, even as adults. You know, the parent-child bond is intensely strong, and a parent's remarriage just causes a shift in the relationship, and most adult children find it unnerving. You know, they, they're all of a sudden uh, being loved differently by their parent, and they're, they're not on the front of the radar uh, as the parent is now focused on the partner. And sometimes the partner thinks that it's their job to be the, par- be the uh, parent to the stepchild. And then what they do is end up abusing him because basically the kid's not going to respond to you the same way as they're going to respond to their parent. That's why when you get married and if you're going to get married in multiple relationships and have children, you don't want to be parenting the child of your partner you want your partner to be parenting them and you shouldn't be nagging them on how they parent because not all people parent the same way. And if you're going to make that an issue, you're also probably going to be a serial marriage person. You know, in the United States and, and much of the Western world, when, when a couple divorces, the average income of a woman and her dependent children often plunges to 20% or more, while that of their, their, her now ex uh, who'd been the family's primary bedwinner, and I'm talking about from basic 1950s traditional marriage which we're not in that day and age but there are people that marry and there's lots of people probably a vast majority of the population where one income is either much higher than the other or uh the income is uh is uh, uh not there on one side and only there on another side and and this can go both ways for man or woman but uh You know, they may end up paying child support uh, for what they contribute to the household, but, you know, that may help, but that oftentimes doesn't make up the difference. You know, this born again uh, bachelor or bachelorette is perfectly positioned to attract a new younger spouse and begin building another family. You know, it's a small wonder that many Darwinian-minded observers of human mating customs have long contended that serial monogamy is really just a socially sanctioned version of harem building. And it's just, you know, by this conventional evolutionary psychology, the man who skips from one... Uh, spouse to another over time is like the sultan who hoards the local uh, maidenry in a single convenient location, uh, simply seeking to maximize his productive fitness and to sire as many children as possible with as many wives as possible. And and if that preferred male strategy, especially for powerful men, uh, sequentially or or synchronously, he-men consort to polygamists. And so women, by contrast, are not thought to be natural serializers. You know, sure, a lady may find a date around when they're young. But once they start a family, they basically assume to to crave stability. After all, you know, they, they can only bear so many children in their lifetime. They're wrecking their body every single time they do it. And divorce rates uh, raises her risk of poverty. So unless forced, um, you know, because women basically end up sacrificing a lot of years of marriage, raising children, or having children, and that is a lot. That's a lot, and 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 women take a lot of risk. They they their body is is vulnerable. Their health is more vulnerable. They take the man in sexually, which can be nasty if he has diseases from his past conquests. You know, so it can be a really messy, messy thing. And, uh, you know, there's a report uh, published in the summer issue in in an issue of Human Nature uh, uh, from the University of California, this uh, lady named Modique uh, Mulder, and uh, it presents compelling evidence that at least some non-Western cultures where conditions are harsh and mothers must fight to keep their children alive, serial monogamy is by no means a man's game. It's finessed by him and and foisted on her. And so, to the contrary, the, uh, uh, Dr. Bur- Mulder said that among the, the, the Pimbi uh, people of Tanzania, those lives and loves uh, uh, are... Quite, are uh, basically uh f- which he's basically followed these folks for about 15 years the serial monogamy looks less like polygamy than a, stri- a strategic uh, a beast that may have some uh, some person just basically taking on whoever he wants as his partner you know um you know pr- provocatively the character sketches of male versus female uh serialists prove to be Uh, uh, inversely related. Among the women, those with the greatest number of spouses were themselves considered high-quality mates, the hardest working, the most reliable, with a scant taste for the strong uh, 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 Pimby uh, famously brewed. And among the men, by contrast, the higher nuptial count the lower the customer ranking and the likelier the men were to be uh, layabout drunks. <laughs> so, you know, we're so wedded to the model that men will benefit from multiple marriages and women won't, that women are victims of the game. And, and you know, there's there's a, there's a new analysis through preliminary that is derived from one of the more comprehensive and uh, data sets about uh, mar- marriage and reproduction patterns in uh, non-western culture, but the re- le- the results underscore the importance of avoiding uh, the, the generalities of what might be called uh, evolution. You know, It's too often devoted to proclaiming universal truths about uh, a, a deep human nature based on how people respond to their sexuality. But it's important to really take a look at ourselves and understand, you know, hey, do I have control of my life? Am am I in, am I starting to make better decisions? Am I am I going to be in a relationship where we make decisions together, or is it all all about me making decisions? Because selfish people have a tendency to wreck a marriage, and it's important to understand that that when people are selfish and they don't think as we, they think as I. What basically happens is you're setting up the ingredient for divorce. The other thing that sets the ingredient for divorce, and I see this all the time, is the people that throw the word divorce out there. They throw the word divorce in your face through the marriage. Why don't we just divorce? Why don't we divorce? Divorce, divorce. Okay, when you do that, your partner basically hears that and goes, oh, I have to think of a plan B. This may not work. And so all of a sudden, they have to arrange in their mind, what are they going to do if this person decides they want a divorce? Now, I have to figure out how am I going to do this financially? How am I going to do it physically? Where are we going to live? How am I going to make a living? What do I have to do? You know, smart people. And I remember when my mom uh, divorced my dad for many good reasons. um, I remember the first, she probably was thinking about divorce for maybe five years, but I think in the last four years, four or five years, she started, she went in and got a job. She learned like uh, shorthand. I don't know if you know what shorthand is, but it's a way of taking notes. And uh, basically, you know, she went out and started to work, set up a life for herself, and eventually decided to get a divorce. And uh, you know, that was probably the best and smartest thing she ever did in her life. Um, But the bottom line was, is that, you know, some people have to make a plan. And I think when they started talking divorce, that's when she started to make that plan and she went after it. And so if you're in a relationship where you're codependent, where you're stuck and you don't have anything, you need to have a plan before you get divorced. You don't just go get divorced because you feel like it and we'll just throw our hands in the air to the wind. You need a plan. And you need to understand what the consequences are. And you need to also speak to an attorney and really get a good idea of how this is all going to fall. Um, because if you don't know how things are going to happen and you just make these emotional choices, uh, you're going to r- put a wrecking ball through your life. Because there's going to be a lot of things, especially if you have children, a lot of things are going to happen that you're not going to like because – The judge has a lot of leeway to make all the decisions they want about your life without even knowing you, your children, or your spouse. Actually, when people get divorced, the courts could care less about you. They only really care about the children and how they're taken care of. The rest of it is pretty much a formula. And you need to get that because taking yourself, taking all your emotional energy to court to hurt your partner is foolish. It's foolish and it can destroy you. And it can destroy your children's life because all that money that you're spending in court could actually be spent on college and having a good life and creating great memories. You know, divorce is not the end of the world, but it's important to understand you need to take it serious. It's, you know, marriage is. A will or won't proposition. It's not a try. Serial marriage people are try-oriented. Oh, we'll just try this or we'll try that. Well, they don't commit. It's a will or won't. I will be monogamous. I will have your back. I will tackle trust issues. I will go into confrontation with you and discuss things as adults. You know, it's will. And and it's it's really... How how resilient are you as a couple? And the more resilient you are as a couple, the more you can build your relationship into something beautiful and strong. And resiliency is the key to life. And that's why humor in a marriage is very important. Because with humor, you can at least uh, set aside your emotions and turn to something different and maybe come back and get constructive about the problems that you're having. You know, that's what marriage family therapy is all about too, is we know how to be married. We know, we understand the, for not everyone, not everyone truthfully understands how to be married, but I can tell you that it's, it's uh, something you learn and it's something you have to really apply yourself. And we have all the tools as therapists, but you have to have the will to stay in it and work through your problems with each other as a couple and respect each other. But the deal is, is that going to therapy is not a bad idea because if you're trying to be married the way your parents were or following the formulas of what your parents did, you're going to find yourself going down the same path they did and having the same miserable relationships that they might have had. And the bottom line is they grew up in a different time. You grew up in a different time. You have to be married in the time you're in. And with the dynamics of society as it is, and with the dynamics of possibilities as it is, that's important. That's why you need to own your own marriage. You know, what you learn about each other and what you learn about yourself at the end of a marriage is very important. It's really not important, the failures we have in life. What's really important is how we choose to respond. And people that get defensive, and believe me, defenses have nothing to do with a healthy relationship. You should be willing to hear your partner's perception no matter what, even if they're cussing you out, you still want to hear it. Because when you have that kind of curiosity, you're not going to have conflicts that don't get resolved. But when people get defensive, they just escalate one step over the other. You know, a lot of people talk to each other as if they're children. They will parent their partner. You told me you were going to do this. You were going to say, you were supposed to do this. Why didn't you do this? You didn't pay this bill. I And then the other partner comes back, says, well, you know, you don't do this, this, this. And nothing gets solved because they keep parenting each other and insulting each other because they're talking to each other as children. But what's important is we do confrontation as adults. And my friends, that's called transactional analysis. And I talked about it earlier. Calm, flat, straight, state your emotions. You know, by the numbers, it's important to know how a once divorced person has processed what they went through, whether they've done any work and gained insight towards correcting the problems. Twice married people can indicate that there are issues not understood or resolved And for those married three or more times, it's more likely they have problems choosing someone appropriate or staying the course in an intimate relationship because they've learned that divorce can happen and it's okay. And I moved on and everything's fine. But no, you know, everything's not fine. That's why it's, you know, it's important if you're going to get divorced, I would stay single for at least a couple of years just to get your head straight. Don't just hop into something. That's crazy. You can be patient. You need to be more patient and have, be, be invested in a process of healing and invest in the fact that it is a process. Marriage is not an outcome. And people these days want everything right now. And the deal is you can't always get things right now. It's a process just like there is in life. Life is a process. It's not an outcome. All right, we're going to take another break. We're going to come back. We're going to talk about red flags in dating.
0: Change your world one couple marriage repair, a two-day workshop in Seattle, and more. Visit GBMFT.com today or call Dr. Gary Bell at 951-818-7856. That's drgbmft.com or 951-818-7856. Do you wish you could avoid having difficult conversations with your kids about sex, relationships, and how to stay safe? Do you struggle with what and how much to say? You're not alone. Tune into Holistic Sex Ed Radio with host Robin LaCrosse for a fresh new perspective on sex education that goes beyond the birds and the bees. We gather together every Thursday at 10 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Empowerment Channel for conversations designed to improve your relationships, expand your knowledge, and give you the tools to help your Or you can just click on Email Host on the Voice America page. Now, back to Dr. Gary
1: Bell's Absurd
0: Psychology.
1: Welcome back, everybody. All right, we're talking about serial marriages and uh, people that are incompatible. You know, there's a lot. When you go on dates, you know, it's, it's really you need to understand that you need to do a little bit of backgrounds, especially if you do this online stuff. You know, it's not bad to go to somebody's Facebook page. It's not a bad idea to go to their Instagram. It's not a bad idea, you know, to Google your date and find out if they have a criminal record. But you do want to look for red flags because people are not forthcoming. Many people will hold their secrets. They're used to having a partial existence on the Internet. And the fact is, is that you can find things in the dating process if you're smart enough to catch those red flags. But here's a big deal, and you need to stick with this integrity and trust are essential elements to any relationship you know even if it's business it's still essential there are millions of reasons that marriages fail but the particular is uh, is are often discovered during the dating process and if you have a partner that has little integrity or has little ability to be trusted you're throwing yourself into a hot mess i mean a hot hot mess Uh, and and That is not a good thing for anybody's life. You know, if if a person seems distant or removed when you're spending time together or talking, you know, like they're not expressive or they're hard to connect with on an emotional level, that says a lot. You know, that's going to be hard to live with, hard to live with. If you, you find that you're getting blamed or that they blame their ex for everything and take no responsibility for the relationship having problems, or for selecting a partner who doesn't fit. That's that's a big red flag, you know. If the person you're dating doesn't share how they feel about you, this doesn't need to be deep or signify serious commitment. But you need to know where you stand, especially if you've been dating for a while. You know that's important. Red flag. Your date, you know, may seem to be self-centered, much more interested in themselves and only needs that you, you know, they don't really care about your needs. You know, if you see these tendencies now, they're likely to continue. If they're late to your date, if there's somebody that's not dependable, if they don't call when they say they're going to call, there's something going on. And and if that person is so self-centered, you don't need to be with them. If you suspect the person has a serious emotional issues that, you know, that make uh, any kind of smooth interaction nearly uh, impossible to achieve, that's a good idea. Red flag. Get rid of them. You know, like the breakups themselves, divorce rates are a complicated subject. You know, questions are broad. You know, should we really want divorce rates to go down? You know, is it true? That about half of American mar- uh, uh, marriages end in a split? Well, yeah. And this year, it's probably even more. And why are so many baby boobers ending things all of a sudden? And then there's questions of what predicts divorce in the first place, you know? Do, do you really, if you're a toxic couple, do you really need to stay married? Is that important? No. It's not a good idea to be toxic if you're two stubborn people that can't be adults, and if you're always blowing up on each other and projecting your own problems on each other, you're not going to have a steady relationship. And and that, my friends, can end your life due to stress, you know? Age also matters. Couples that marry later tend to have relationships that last longer. The earlier the couple gets gets together, the greater the risk of later divorces. So interestingly, that holds if couples move in together while they're younger, as in their teen years or even in their early 20s. You know, demographics can be important statistics. Um, you know, uh, education and religion are really powerful predictors of lasting and dissolving unions. And and quite frankly, you know, if you're going to be a Christian, find a Christian partner if you can. Find a Christian partner because you need to have that spirituality in common because the people who marry a partner who's not spiritual, who's not in their faith, ends up getting divorced oftentimes because or losing their religion uh, simply because their partner doesn't believe in it. And so there's this ongoing problem, especially if you start breeding, then nobody knows what to do. Should we go to church? Should we not go to church? What are we going to do? And it gets crazy. It gets crazy. You know, women with bachelor's degrees have a 78% chance of having their marriages lasting more than 20 years, compared with 41% with a high school education, while it's respectively 65% Mm -hmm. and 47% for men. men. So, identifying as religious also gives a similar bump uh, versus non-religious. You know, one personality trait makes things especially hard, and that's neuroticism, and that's emotional instability and it's a personality trait that measures how sensitive you are to perceived threats and how likely you are to ruminate about them and it's been implicated in anxiety and depression disorders uh, that that has been shown to be repeatedly predictive of divorce and if so if you have a neurotic partner you're more than likely to get worn down to the point that you just can't deal with it anymore also Infidelity doesn't help, and this one's not exactly surprising. When people cheat on each other, you know, (laughs) what do you think is going to happen? They've already decided to get divorced if they're cheating, so cheating leads to lower marital happiness, obviously, but a greater feeling of divorce proneness is what is more likely to happen, you know, the chance you might split up, and then there's this higher occurrence of actually doing so, which happens when people cheat. And, uh, you know, some people are serial cheaters and they, they live a life like that and their partner decides that it's okay, I'll just deal with it. You know, I don't love them in that way anyway, so I'll just kind of raise the kids and do all the things. No, no, not a way to go. What kind of role model is that? And it's important to note that all of these things are correlations. You know, the, the bottom line is, why do people get married? Well, if you go from a biblical perspective, people get married to raise children. That's what you do. It, the marriage is a contract and a covenant that you create with each other in order to raise a family. That was the purpose of marriage. But all all this other garbage, just being together, you can just be together. But if you're not going to have kids, you don't need to get married. You don't need to do that. You know, what are you doing? The bottom line is, is having children so they have the assurance that their parents have a contract and a covenant to be together and that they pay consequences if they get divorced and that's important and that's what marriage is for that's why the courts could care less about two stupid adults who get divorced what they care more about is the children because that is the foundation of the marriage but if two people get married and they don't put themselves first and love each other, and teach each other how 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 to love God through each other. Then then they're 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 not going to get it right because you have to be able to give to yourselves before you give to your children. That's how you restore your energy. That's how you partner, and the way you love your children is how God loves you. And so it's something we need to understand as people that uh, you know, marriage is not all about us as an individual. You know. There's a lot of research, Uh, um, you know, the number one uh, killer of uh, 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 a problem in a marriage is apathy. Apathy. When people, I, I, I can get two people on a couch and if they're arguing with each other and they hate each other, they have to love each other to hate each other. So that means there's hope. But when people just could care less, they don't care anymore. That's when divorce is most likely to happen, when they have no feeling for their partner whatsoever. You know, there's also can be hope, but it's really hard to find hope when there's apathy. And sometimes it's a fake apathy. It's an apathy because they're depressed or it's an apathy because they've given up. And sometimes you can restore that energy. But the main ingredient to getting to ending a marriage is often oftentimes Uh, I just don't care anymore. You know, going to see a marriage counselor isn't easy for any couple, but you can save a marriage. You really can. You know, there's commonly held beliefs and and I I tell people, you know, we're going to do a few things. We're going to change some behaviors. We're going to change how we talk to each other and we're going to fake it till we make it. And guess what? What? If you start doing that muscle memory and building that muscle memory, we finally get it that this is healthy and then we begin to do it willingly and wantingly because we're getting the kind of results from each other that we never had before. You know, you have to practice, just like in sports, just like in anything hard in life. Marriage is one of the hardest things you'll ever do, but you're not taught how to be married. And so seeking counseling is never a bad idea. And I know it sounds crazy uh, to, to go see a marriage counselor. Some people think that's nuts because their pride and they think they can figure it out. But no, cut corners. Go to somebody who knows how to get it together. But make sure that there's somebody that has a reputation for doing it well. You know, you have to make a mental shift to save your marriage from divorce. Marriage counseling is like going to a doctor. You go every year for a checkup, even if you're feeling fine. You know, this is important because you don't want a problem sneaking up on you. You know, keeping your marriage healthy, saving your marriage from divorce entails paying attention and working it every day, whether you feel like it or don't feel like it. You know, there's a number of cultural and personal influences and give the idea of good counseling a, a bad name. But, you know, some people assume that counseling means you're you're about to get a divorce. No. No, you're not trying to get divorced. Some people are tuning it up. You know, there's this also this reputation only wimps get counseling. Right. Only wimps get their leg set by a doctor when it's broken. You know, your marriage is more than just a a, a sacred cow. It's the most important thing you'll ever do. And so you don't want to treat it lightly. You know, some people are too tough to get counseling or their parents didn't get counseling and they stayed together. You know, there's nothing wrong. Let's go into denial. You know, stop lying to yourself. In fact, if you're listening to this, you're either a spouse trying to figure out how not to get counseling or your spouse trying to convince your partner that you need it. But here's the deal. Marriage is, it takes two. And if you have an unwilling partner to seek counseling, you've got a low chance of repair because they're too selfish to even try something to make it better. Here's the deal. Listen to your partner humbly. That is a big deal. Validate your partner. Okay, I understand you feel like this. You feel like this. You think I'm this. I get it. I understand. Just validate. You don't have to correct them. You don't have to be right. Just listen. The person that is listening in any conversation is the most powerful person in the conversation. If you and your marriage can become a good listener, you will have a better shot at expressing your feelings, being willing to compromise, You won't be blaming the other person. You'll spend more time uh, apart and you're looking for quality. You know, you have to learn in this life, if you're going to be in relationships, you have to learn to forgive and move on. And you have to be able to look at forgiveness by looking at how did you decide this? What made you think this way that this was a good choice instead of continuously telling them how stupid they are for doing something wrong? You know, and you need to do that with your kids, by the way. You know, find some common goals in your marriage that you want in it. You know, display random acts of kindness to each other. That's a huge thing. Be kind to each other. Recognize what your partner wants. You may be bad at giving compliments. But maybe you got to get better at that if you want to stay married because that's a need of your partner, not a want. You know, it's important to get real about what makes this thing work. All right. That's our show. I'd like to thank everybody for listening. You know, I I really would love to hear from you. And you you could do that on our webpage at voiceamerica.com, the Empowerment Channel, Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Now remember... Marriage is the main cause of divorce. <laughs> that's, that's Groucho Marx. Also remember, a girl must marry for love and keep marrying until she finds that. <laughs> she finds that love. That's Zsa, Zsa Gabor. Also, marriage is like a walk in Jurassic Park. And boy, do I know that one. <laughs> then finally, marriage is about 5% love, 5% compromise. And 90% of knowing when you lost an argument. Thanks for listening, everybody.